Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. I'm Nick. I'm Tim. And today we're going to talk a little bit about 3D and movies and how we think it's going, where we think it's going to go. We're going to talk a little bit about the Terminator franchise and some recent news that has risen there. Risen? Get it? And then uh, we're going to review Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing and then finally get into some feedback. I feel like this episode really should be GoPro'd. It just feels <laughs> like it. It feels like it needs a camera. Um, so, yeah, other than that, go on iTunes, review us, uh, send us feedback, feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com, all that good stuff. I'll probably say it again at the end of the episode. But, we should get right into our discussion of 3D and film. So, um, a while back, we started seeing a lot of 3D movies being released. We had this heavy 3D push, all these new 3D TVs. Uh, Sony started supporting 3D with their PlayStation 3. D. Um, <laughs> all kinds of different uh, 3DS, you know, Nintendo's got the 3DS going on. So everybody's trying to push 3D pretty heavily. Um, but there were kind of different motives in the film world. Uh, some people saw it as an artistic thing. Others people saw it as a box office game because... For some reason, you can charge more when a movie's in 3D, and even though you have to, you're supposed to recycle the glasses when you give them back, that kind of thing. So I think I just basically want to talk about how do you think the adoption of 3D is going, and uh, where do you think it'll be maybe five years from now? So Willie, how do you feel about 3D movies? Um, I feel the same way now about 3D movies that I felt when I saw the first 3D movie, like in the Resurgence. And that is, I don't doesn't do anything for me. It really doesn't. I mean, I, I I hate to be the guy who has like not a whole lot to add to this conversation, but it literally does nothing for me. Like, it usually doesn't hurt the movie, and it usually does nothing to make the movie better. Okay. Honestly, I I mean the I think 3D looks better on a 3D TV sitting in your living room with all the lights down and like like watching it with the, the cool 3D glasses than it does in the theater. I mean, I, I honestly do. I've done both, and it for whatever reason I typically don't see. I don't know if I physically, like, can't, if I'm one of those people that, like, can't see 3D, because I'm aware that there are people that can't. Yeah. And I might be one of them, because, like, every once in a while, like, usually the logo at the beginning of the movie is the one thing that I, like, I'm like, ooh, wow, look at that. And then the rest of it, I'm like, nope. No, but I think a lot of the times 3D has been used lately, mostly as, like, a box office game, but also to just kind of lend depth to the world, which you don't necessarily notice if yeah. it's not, like... And, and maybe it, I don't know. I mean, I... I haven't, like, a lot of movies I don't see twice in the theater, like, so I'm not going to go see them once in 3D and then once in 2D. Yeah. Um, but I, the ones that I have seen in both, I guess I, I never really had any major, I mean, there's been moments during 3D movies, like, there were moments during Tron Legacy that I really enjoyed, and that was a post-converted one. No. Wasn't it? No. No, it was shot in 3D? That was shot in 3D. Well, there you have that. I never saw Avatar in 3D, but I've heard it's, it's pretty awesome. Um... There were a couple moments in Jackass 3D that were kind of fun. <laughs> Honestly, there were. I mean, there were a couple funny moments. Um, and usually it's, like, I've, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, usually it's, like, particle stuff, like yeah. rain or um, embers from a fire. And they, they use those a lot in 3D movies. And that's, that's like, the new, like, 3D! Like, yeah. you can, like, when you're watching them in 2D, you're like, that's the 3D moment. Because too know. many people were complaining about the moments where somebody was throwing something at the camera. Yeah, because it doesn't work. Let's just be honest. Like, yeah. has it ever worked for you where you're like, whoa, that yeah. hatchet's, hatchet's coming at me. I better watch out. Like, well, I was, like, nine. Yeah. Terminator <laughs> Terminator 3D at Universal. Oh, yeah. 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 
which and, is still sweet. And that's, you know, that might be the case, too. I, the, the first 3D movie I ever saw was... Um, Captain EO. Friday the 13th 3D. In 3D. And it was... Jaws 3. It's <laughs> um, so Friday the 13th Part 3, 3D. In 3D. And I don't remember how or where I saw it, but I remember seeing it in 3D. That was and, probably blue-red 3D. Like It was blue-red 3D. Uh, the old glasses. Yeah, and... I feel like I said on a drive-in, like at like like a drive-in show, like years after it came out, but they were like playing it late. Anyway, I remember being like really into it as a kid, you know, like even though like even though it was really corny, you know, like the yeah. effects they used and stuff. I mean, like I was really into it, and I think maybe I don't know, I I think it looks good with animated movies, and I think part of that is because I don't know when you're looking at through the eyes of a child, it's like so much more woo neat. You yeah, know? The, I don't know. the gimmick gets you a little more, but yeah, I okay. I don't know, I. I, I mean, as far as where I think it's going, I don't think it's going anywhere. I mean, I, I don't. I, it's, I think it's going to be. This, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be around because it, it it does increase box office revenue, and people, in general, seem to either like 3D or not mind 3D enough to not see it in 3D. Okay. All right, Nick. 3D. <clears throat> uh, whether or not I'm going to see a movie in 3D in the theater is always kind of a contingent on subject matter. Like, I think it works really well with sci-fi and that kind of element. Like, I remember Prometheus was really cool in 3D. Mm-hmm. The, uh, everything the with ships and the map room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super awesome. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man I really enjoyed in 3D. I thought all the, the web-swinging stuff was neat. And I loved the particles for, like, the last act of the movie. Uh, I thought it was really cool. The Hobbit was a weird instance because it kind of the combination of 3d and 60 frames a second was such an unusual movie going experience that i actually still haven't seen it in 2d 24 yet so i can't say yet on which one i preferred but i guess where i fall on it is i for the most part now i kind of like it in the hands of someone who knows what to do with it it's cool if uh if a movie's shot and like planned to be in 3d you can see evidence of just the general composition being in, in 3D. Because, I mean, film has usually always been about foreground, midground, and background, and if you can find a way to emphasize that further with 3D, I think it's pretty cool. I'd love to see, like, a psychological horror movie or psychological thriller in 3D where they really compress yes. and <laughs> compress and, and uh, contort, like, space and what you're seeing with the use, like, coupled with 3D. I feel like it would be really awesome. I, th- I guess I think they need to get more experimental with it, but I, I mean in terms of not, like, throwing shit at the camera like Resident Evil, but, you know, more with what you're shooting, more with with uh, blocking and stuff like that, because I think it can be really cool. Yeah. There were moments in Man of Steel that were kind of like that that I thought were sweet, like, uh, in the 3D, like when Feora would zoom towards the camera a little bit and you just everything would kind of shift. I thought it was neat. But, like, his cape coming to the coming closer, I thought it was cool. But I guess it definitely takes a type of filmmaker who's enthusiastic about it. If there's someone who's like, oh, it's just going to be a bullshit box office inflation tactic, then they're not going to try to integrate it Yeah, organically. I think we're seeing a lot of that where... um, There are definitely some guys like Cameron and that who really love the idea of it and using the technology to, to help with their story. But it also feels like a bargaining chip that the studio sometimes uses to get what they want out of a production... Yeah, it's so I'm hard to say. I'm thinking particularly, uh, well, particularly of Star Trek Into Darkness, because I know J.J. was like, no, 
But they were like, yeah, you need to do this. And then he was like, well, fine, but I want to film it in IMAX, too. So it's kind of, it's this weird, like, choice that's being made, but also kind of being forced upon some directors. And I mean, I think a, another funny paradox is that, well, I mean, while it does increase box office sales, it, it inflates budgets, too, because if you're going to shoot in 3D, you need another camera, and you yeah. need more crew, and you need more support. If you're going to shoot in film on 3D, that's just insane. You're just going to burn through so much, uh, so much film. It's just it's it's really interesting. I'd love for like a, a cool book summing up the last like five years of the the rise and relative plateaus thus far of 3D. It's like Hugo was when a guy like Scorsese embraced it. That was huge. Yeah. And 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 digital to boot like that was that was quite a weird movie to see. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting actually to talk about when we talk about Terminator how Cameron uh, Terminator One was so shoestringy in terms of the effects and and now like it just seems like he's always pushing for it as much as he can. I wonder I wonder if he always was like that. It'd be interesting, but I, I mean thus far I remember seeing Toy Story three in three D and that was the first movie. What year was that? Was that eleven? Two thousand ten. I think it was two thousand ten. And at the time, being like, I like this. This adds some depth. But I remember seeing that movie and being like, okay, 3D's reached its peak. And, uh, no. <laughs> False. Alright. Tim. 3D um, and film. I've actually come around to it a little bit. I used to... I, it still gives me a headache. Because, like, I'm kind of old and, um... Drink a lot. But... <laughs> but I used to... But, like, I used to like it... My stance on it used to be it's for schlock and schlock only, and that's how I like it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like horror movie, 3D. Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Vincent Price invented this, dude. Yeah. Well, like, let's um, be honest. Dude. Yeah. He was like, I'm gonna make 3D movies. And yeah, he, yeah. That's what I was thinking of, like the old 50s, like the William Castle when he used to put the the tingler underneath the seat. The tingler. And, and he used to like zap people during the movie. Like that's fun. It's stupid. And like, why are they not doing that now, Tim? I don't know. Well, they have those D box things, but they call them D box, so they're classy. Yeah. No, that's dumb. I, don't you want to see the tingler come? Yeah, out? I want to see like a skeleton like fall through the crowd like they used to do. Yeah. Yeah. But like that's fun and silly, and that's what I used to think it was. Like my favorite 3D movies were like Jackass and Piranha anything with like a penis flying at the screen <laughs> like I really enjoy it because it's funny subgenre of, uh, <laughs> of 3D movies Aerial Penis 3D yeah so like so <laughs> there's for, a movie called Aerial Penis 3D <laughs> and, there will be a band and I'm in the front row um, <laughs> but then then it started to get I don't know I've started to come around with it as some of like my my favorite filmmakers have started to use it the more skilled ones like I really liked Oz's 3D I really liked Hugo's 3D Okay. Um, I actually dug Ag Avatar's 3D, even though I don't think I was crazy about the movie. I only saw it in 3D once. Um, but yeah, I, I started to come around with to it a little. I still don't like a lot of the post-converted stuff. I prefer it when it's obviously oh, yeah. meant shot. to be shot for yeah. 3D. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the superhero movies, it does nothing for me. And Star Trek's, it doesn't really do a lot for me. So I still tend to go back to my old ways of like, let's just do horror movies and. Like, if they have a re rebooted Porky's, we should do Porky's in 3D. But other than that... That would probably have aerial penises. <laughs> but other than that, I don't have a lot to add. It definitely can be cool with genre stuff. Well, yeah. what did you hear was cool about the World War Z 3D? I just heard that a lot of the moments... It was from David Chen on Slash Filmcast. He's not particularly a huge fan of 3D, but he doesn't necessarily hate it. But he said a lot of the moments that were just, like, zombies coming at you and and just, like... 
things things rushing towards the screen and like the quick action like that he thought was actually pretty cool in 3D even though it was post converted which I found pretty surprising maybe they're um, just getting better at it I think I think that's it I think they're starting to realize especially after uh, Clash of the Titans Ooh. that you cannot just storybook a movie oh and Clash throw is it really bad there. yeah actually that's think? that's the number one thing that bothers me that still saddens me about 3D is that uh, what was the last movie I saw in 3D Iron Man Man of Steel Oh, uh, well, Man of, Man of Steel, and then I, when I saw Monsters University, I, I saw it in 3D. And just inevitably, at least one time during a movie, I always stop and pull up the glasses, and I just see how much more vivid the color and yeah. the, and just the, the dynamic range of what I can see is just so much better through without 3D. And that's the thing that always drags me out on a little bit. I'm like, man, it's like Man of Steel, I remember flipping up the glasses and being like, wow, like the colors pop so much more, and... You know, if they could find a way around that, I guess that's why Samsung's TVs these days are so damn bright. Because if people are watching them in 3D, you, know, you got to be able to compensate. It's called 60 frames per second and uh, 48 frames per second. Yeah, yeah. 5,000 frames per second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think I, I suppose the, the like big moment of 3D was really Avatar. That was kind of the beginning of it all. Like, yeah. there had been 3D movies beforehand, but this was like. This movie was the push, like, we need to do more 3D movies for, like, every single studio. And, uh, I did see it in 3D. I did enjoy it. I thought, you know, the 3D was great, and it did add a good sense of depth to the world, and it did a good job of, you know, making me feel like Pandora was a real place, but... And that's kind of something that I appreciated about Tron, too, because Tron Tron's was pretty subtle for the most part. There were a lot of just subtle moments of 3D in it. But, um... You know, things things like the Avengers and Man of Steel, it's okay. There's not, like, a ton of moments in those. Like, the one movie that had a moment where I was like, I'm glad I saw this in 3D was definitely Prometheus. Prometheus, the, just the one map scene with yeah. David in the map, I was like, yeah. whoa. Like, that was Oh, insane. that, the map room. I was yeah. thinking of the... the on the bridge of the ship when they had the schematic, like, when they sent out the little recon. That's, yeah, that was cool, too. The way it felt like, the way it, the camera was rotating around and the the hallways on the schematic felt like they were almost going over your head, like, off screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And That's your brain, your brain was kind of filling in, like, yeah. what, you know, this, oh, this is above me now. Very cool. Yeah, but I, the map room with David was, like, yeah, 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 yeah. mind-blowing with me. And I did enjoy Hugo very much. I thought it was a very masterful use of 3D. But, it's really, um, it's really kind of a genre thing. It's interesting. It worked as well as it did in Hugo. Yeah, but I think that's just part of Hugo was such a Scorsese being gem a, of a movie, though. Yeah, that's a super underrated movie. Whenever I talk to people about it, they're always like, "No, I haven't seen it." I'm like, "Bro." I think a lot of people write it off as like Oscar schlock because it got a lot of praise. Yeah, that's a really here, interesting but, little <laughs> little movie. Um, but no, I mean it's interesting because part of the thing is that 3D is so cheap to throw into TVs that people are going to buy the TVs. Like if you need a new TV nowadays, there's, there's no reason to get one that doesn't have 3D in it because it costs about the same as an, as another TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think there is something to be said about the technical side where where the brightness and and just kind of the how vivid the picture is. How you were saying, Nick. I think that's kind of the biggest the biggest hurdle that needs to be overcome because i mean personally i feel as though i don't really want to see any movies in 3d if i'm gonna see a movie in 3d i'm hoping that it was actually shot in 3d or 
it's at the IMAX, and I'm only seeing it in 3D because I want to see IMAX shots. And, but, you know, it, it it's generally not something that I seek out. It is generally something that I feel like can detract from the movie a little bit. Like, I know, Nick, <clears throat> you like the 3D and, and Spider-Man, but for some reason, just the quick, the quick-paced fight, like, fight style that Spider-Man, like, his agility just made it so hard for me to follow it, particularly in 3D. I just had issues with that. Um, but, I don't know, maybe there's an issue with me, because I had some of those issues in, in Man of Steel I'm the well. same way, though, like, and that's, that's one thing I wanted to say, too, is I don't... I'm fine with 3D existing. Like, I'm not gonna get angry at anybody who loves 3D. But, like, please give me the option. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't... Like, there's been a couple times I've been forced to see a movie in 3D, and I should not have to be forced to see a movie in 3D. Yeah. I don't feel like... Like, can we take a vote of everybody in the theater, like, before the movie starts? Like, <laughs> all for 3D. 3D printer, non-3D printer. Like, something, please. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't want to be for Like, I want to have a choice. You know what I mean? I know that there was, like, supposedly... This is one of the things that I think Ebert commented on, you know, two years ago or so. He felt as though studios were going to try and push the price of, of 3D movies down and of normal movies up so that it's kind of a ubiquitous choice and so that you know there's but but that would i don't know if that would that would probably hurt the box office advantage that they have yeah, now it would so it's that's kind of interesting to think about like it would also be super annoying yeah i <laughs> I like yeah. being able to go to a matinee still and pay five dollars for a 2d movie if i'm like yeah. i just want to go like much ado was just a great movie experience like i went to the theater I bought a coffee, I sat down in the seat, and I just watched the movie, and I didn't have any shit on my face that I needed to <laughs> worry about lifting to check the brightness or anything like that. I just watched a movie in a normal movie house in a normal movie setting, and it was great. Yeah. You didn't have super wide seats and oh, super, you know... No, it's true, though. It wasn't like a luxury, you know what I mean? It is like, the whole... I mean, yeah, spinning out of 3D for a second, the whole, the whole movie-going experience now is turning into like a bizarre event indulgence i mean yeah it's it's always been an event that's been like the lure of the of the movies but yeah it really is getting insane at least well well, for us here in michigan for those who might be listening and and don't have this fat phenomena like our our seats in our theaters are just getting humongous which is kind (laughs) of cool like at one theater nearby they're like these leather reclining monstrosities that I like fall asleep in. Like, lazy I'm sitting exactly like I am now in a movie theater, and it's just bizarre. Well, then you used to be able only able to get like popcorn, and, like a drink. Now you can get like a menu full of things. Yeah, like, yeah, that was beer. when I that's, was yeah when like, I went to weird. Man of Steel. It was super distracting uh, because someone with a platter of chicken fingers and nachos was in front of me. Yeah, and I chicken was, like, fingers. I was like, <laughs> man, I'm hungry now. Like I'm at a I'm at a bowling alley or at a movie theater. I love being able to buy like a beverage assortment. Yeah. I think that's cool. Being able to buy a coffee was killer because I was really tired. But getting a... Like, what's to stop you from just drinking, like, four beers in the lobby and then just being drunk in the movie theater? Nothing. Nothing at all. There's no benefit. Like, you're not going to a killer whale show at SeaWorld. Like, you're going to, to a movie. Be quiet and sit still and watch. Is some of these drunk at a killer whale show? <laughs> Probably. That's awesome. I'm just, I'm just I saying... we just figured out how we can lie. get Willie to see Resident Evil 7 or whatever nope. it is. Just get him to trash. Not enough. It just reminds it's me of my, my... One of my favorite quotes ever about movies is by Peter Weller, and I'll have to link it or something. You can put it on the web. I forgot the exact thing, but he basically talks about how the movies is so great because 
all these all these people from from all these walks of life, they all come together in the same place. He's like, y'all sit down. You sit next to each other. Your people are mingling. He's like, you sit down in the dark, and you all have the same experience at the same time. And nobody talks. Everybody's there, and you all feel the same thing, and you see the same thing. And then when you're done, everyone gets up, and they go their separate ways again. He's like, it's this cool melting pot. It's on IMDb. It's one of like his right. personal quotes. But it's, uh, it's long. It's like a paragraph. But the way he says it is just really, really cool. He says it like Jeff Bridges would say it. Like It's just very, like... <laughs> But it's a great it's a great line about the appeal of the movies, and it's just turning into like a yeah, it's not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think this is another topic that we could talk about, but we could talk back in the days how before Psycho, I think, like Psycho was when Hitchcock was like, "I want you guys to enforce movie times. Like, I don't want you to sell a ticket after this point." But before that, people would just be like, oh, there's, al- there's always something playing on the movie screen. Like, it could be uh, war- wartime reels or, like, other yeah, shorts or serials or things like that. And you would just watch, you'd pay your nickel and you'd sit down and watch. And nowadays it's kind of, here's these movie Structure. times. and But, yeah, we can talk about that some other time. I think, I think that'd be I good. think it'd be really interesting to come back to. Yeah. Plus the, the narrowing divide between watching at home and watching in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right, well, that was our discussion on 3D. Now we have a segment for next week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 3D, probably here to stay, simply because it'll make people more money. But, you know, there's some some merit to it. At least it's growing. It's getting better. Yeah, at at least it's not like... At least we aren't seeing that many Clash of the Titans coming out, where it's just straight-up pop-up book. Yeah, as the more talented directors. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, next... We have the fifth Terminator in the series, but it's not really in the series because it's going to be a rebooted first feature in a standalone trilogy in, in on June 26, 2015. So, gosh, cue eye roll. <laughs> so we don't have a director attached. We don't really know anything officially about the story yet. But um, we've got two writers... Leda Kellergridis from Avatar and Shutter Island and Patrick Lucier from Drive Angry who are writing the screenplay. <laughs> Excuse Patrick my Patrick Lucier, Lucier, writer of My Bloody Valentine 3D though, Willie. <laughs> Come on. This is not a man... Uh, all props to, to Patrick Lucier, but he should not be writing a turn. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, okay. It's at so, least a sideways for McG. <laughs> it's a lateral. It's a lateral move. <laughs> Okay. Well, we don't have a director yet. A director could come in and rewrite. It could the whole be McGee. Thing. Could could be Burt Ratner. Um, I hate you. Shut <laughs> up. It could be Duncan Jones. It could be hey, Neil Blomkamp. Paul W. S. Anderson. <gasps> Widescreen. Yeah. Oh man, let's do it. So okay, that's like his football nickname. He was like a a lineman. Why he a widescreen? We've had four Terminator movies. Um, all of which have progressively gone forward in time. In a TV show. Yeah, we've also had a TV show, which I don't think fits in the canon. Kind of. There's two timelines now. Oh, okay. I don't even want to get into it. There's it's considered canon, it but it's, it's a divergent time. Yeah. Which is probably... Not probably, but what could potentially happen with this reboot. I mean, a reboot in a Terminator franchise... It's know. another timeline. Exactly. It's another yeah. variable. Like, like, okay, well, this happened, so now this is happening. So here's your new... It's like Unless, Star Trek. 
kind of. Well, I mean, okay. Here's my first question. Did we need to reboot Terminator? No. No. I'm, I don't want to hear the word reboot anymore. Unless they're no. remaking the cartoon show reboot. That's what I was just going to say. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> like, I don't... Which uh, is on Netflix. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just so sick of it. Like, just make another movie. Just go, yeah. I'm going to make another Terminator movie. And then, like, don't call yes. it a reboot. Like, Agreed. It's going to take place at the time and place I define it. Yeah. And whether or not it's a reboot or not is irrelevant. Yeah. Make up your own mind. It's a movie, people. and it's part of the Terminator series. The thing yeah. is, like, with Terminator, you have one of my all-time favorite, like, c- cinematic lores to to mold and draw from as you please. Why reboot that? Well, it's I mean... It's so good. Okay. I understand the lure of throwing away Terminator Salvation and Rise of the Machines. I get it. I don't care that much, because I thought both of them were serviceable in some respects. Sure. Although but. Salvation threw away Rise of the Machines. Already. And now we're throwing away Salvation. <laughs> this is our second kind of reboot. But I mean, a reboot to me means you're throwing away one and two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... And and, and no. This this movie could have <laughs> you're wrong. no Sarah Connor in it. It could have no Connor in it. Well, did you, did you read the thing? Well, okay, so let me... <laughs> yeah, read please, the... Please give me a minute to pull up the... the Possible synopsis. The rumor, the rumor. I can, I, I can break it down. We can okay. sum it up. The rumored synopsis is that it's going to take place well before, like eighteen hundreds, like or, or early nineteen hundreds, nineteen fifties. Was it nineteen fifties? They were sending a Terminator back to That's kill right. Sarah Connor's parents. Parents. They were going to try to one up Sarah Connor <laughs> to and... snuff her out before she's born. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then are they going to kill the McFlies? <laughs> and then. They were, so they had pr- more primitive joke. weapons and, and ways to deal with the Terminator, which would be kind of fun, I guess. But then Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be playing a friend of the Connor family, and who, who is a protector of them, who winds up becoming the model for the T-800 because he was so good at protecting them, he should be good at killing them, I guess. This sounds like it The thing is, okay. And The Rock was going to be Let's there. just do away with Arnold. I'm sorry, Arnold. Like, I love you, and you are arguably the face of the Terminator franchise, but... Arnold's old. It's okay. He can be in movies now. He doesn't have his day job. The the Terminator franchise suffers from the same problem that the Alien franchise suffers from, and it's that, yes, you have an incredibly strong lead presence in an actor or actress when when it comes to Alien, but that universe can live without them. Yeah. I have, like, I want to see a Ripley, a Ripley-less Alien movie. I want to see a Schwarzenegger-less Terminator movie. Because I know that those can stand on their own. They don't need those guys. Are they iconic? Sure. Did they help bring the franchise well, where they were? Sure. It, I mean, Salvation is... They is, gave it a go. Yeah, they tried, and, and it failed for many different reasons, but I don't know if they see it as it failed because... But I think there were some very good things in Salvation as well. I don't yeah. think everything... I don't think it's an abysmal piece of crap. No. I don't think it's fair to call it that. I enjoyed... I, I, thought, I thought most of the casting was solid. I, Christian Bale was boring. Um, but I thought most of the casting was solid. Moon Bloodgood's boobs were fine. They were lovely. Um, I like, what's she up to? I don't know. Got her number? I think she was in Uh running for Gamora for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Oh, TV show. Then you've got, uh, Anton Yelkin, who was awesome. He seriously felt like, like Michael Bean. So there were moments in that movie, and there were some, there's a chase scene and stuff that I remember being really cool, but... Worthington was actually rather good, I thought. Yeah. yeah, I like Worthington. A there lot were there were some really the the prob the main problem with that movie is the third act gets Everything kind else. of like what, like it, it gets big, big. Yeah, it's generic. And and, and I I liked one of the things that I liked the most about Salvation was that it kind of flips 
the formula of the Terminator movies. Because a lot of the time, it's like, robot comes back <laughs> to help humans. And this one was kind of like, human has helped guide the robot, so to speak. Like, Yelkin and, and Worthington kind of have this this pairing in more of a, a uh, symbiotic relationship rather than a, this robot has a purpose and yeah. needs to... Which I thought I thought that was very interesting. And we deserved a better future Terminator movie. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Like, like we did, we <laughs> we totally did. But there is a moment I, I want to see real quick. There's a moment in Terminator Salvation because I just rewatched it recently. Okay. That is so awesome, and it's the moment when when uh, John Connor first sees the T800, and there's this moment of like pure terror in his face because it's like his best friend from his childhood. Like, see, I don't see that. At all, I totally saw. That's it. one of my I was number one favorite complaints about this movie is that Bale does not react. I thought I thought. It's what, when did you watch it last? Um, two weeks ago. Oh, so recently, man. Last time I watched it, I was looking for it. I was like, please, like, have an emotional response to this, and he just goes, and then like tries to shoot it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I thought he had a pretty solid. That was it, though. Everything else was boring about it. Mm. I, don't, I don't remember anything from that movie. <laughs> like, I'm, no, I'm serious. Like, I feel bad. Like, I'm trying to rack my brain. Do you remember Alice in Chains? Isn't it? Alice in Chains? The song. Not oh, okay. The band doesn't cameo. I was going to say, did they bring it back as a Terry Terminator? Terry Crews is in it. Terry Crews is in it. Common's in it. Um, Bloodgood is in it. Star of Street Fighter, Legend of Chun-Li. Um, oh, sorry. But no, that... Um, I want to go back to that synopsis, because I hate that. Because that is... Ex- <laughs> like, that's graphic novel, like, extended universe stuff. Just yeah. write a book. Write a book and sell it like they do all those Star Trek books. Yeah. Like make a, so people can forget about it. For yeah, them, yeah, just like the people that want it as canon can pretend it's canon, but like for other people, like make a good movie. Don't make that. <laughs> I think I think what the Terminator franchise really needs is, and I'm, I'm totally down for some tried and true like good time old Terminator action if it's just well written and cool. But I would really want. The old, you know, the this person is targeted for termination. Here comes a Terminator. Here comes a good guy who's going to fight the Terminator, and let's watch him fight and try to protect this one person. That formula is really worn out now. I want to see so desperately the nighttime neon laser, just ground made of skulls, Uber eighties. Yeah, but like. I mean, modernize it a little bit, but I want to see the, the actual, like, struggle in the future. I want to see, like, a larger scale machines versus humans, and I want to see, like, a cool little human story amidst all this chaos. Like, all the, in my opinion, everything Terminator-related, the most compelling stuff for me is in the first movie of the flashbacks or forwards or whatever of Kyle Reese in the future. Like, that shit is so awesome. Where I can see the the, the model kit paint on like the yeah. the big machines, but like the the whole atmosphere of it is so cool and so bleak and interesting. See, but and I think there's we haven't explored any of that yet. Here's there. Here's what I would perceive as the the issue with that is that obviously they're going to want to draw upon the characters that they've made. They want, to, they want to use these people, and you've got John Connor and Kyle Reese, and you know where those stories go, to a certain extent. That kind of paints them into a corner of, like... Well, I'm not saying tell another story, story with Reese, but, well, but there's they, a lot okay. to do with John Connor yet. Yeah. We don't know where he goes. Like, the last we saw of him, he's that badass, like, 40-year-old dude with a scar on his eye reading a map and shit while there's a war going on. 
Yes. Where's, where's that guy at? We already know that spoilers for Terminator Salvation, but he dies, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but I, don't. I think there's there, and they set up a really cool. There's a cool. There's a nugget of a cool movie in Salvation somewhere with the whole man versus machine identity, like because he thinks he's a man, but he is a machine. Yeah. And there was something kind of cool to explore in there. Like, there's a good movie in there somewhere. I think the problem with, well, 3 and 4, from what I can recall, is they both they both feel really small, too. Like, there's no scope to either of them. They both, no. 3 is shot like a TV movie, 4 is shot by McGee. So, like, it's just, who's a TV director? No, you're right. And, well, the, and the, look, the look for 4 would have been great for, like, a Mad Max type movie. Yeah. But it's too, like, deserty and empty and, like, it feels like yeah, it was shot in Albuquerque. And it's it's the like, yeah. it it's the feel... opposite of what I want from a Terminator movie. Yeah. It's all it's all washed out and desaturated. Give me saturation, like it's, give me color. You want it's also like and, and, yeah. yeah, it's also like the complete opposite of any of those flash forward scenes that you've it seen. It totally is early right, on. which is which I'd be willing to go with because it's like a younger John Connor, which is kind of why I want to see a return to like to uh, to that kind of future style that they had set up. And I John Slattery is John Connor. and the, the machine. <laughs> Ooh. All right, Ooh. John Hamm is John Connor. What other John actors can we throw up? No, um, I I think uh, John Bajovi. Like <laughs> plus another thing, the the machines need to be scary again. Yeah. Because the machines, one of my biggest gripes with Salvation is all the machine designs are purely there to set up set pieces. Motorcycle robots. Yeah. What? <laughs> so Sam Worthington can can tripwire one and then ride it to where he needs to go or John Connor does that I'm sorry and there's just a lot of goofy ass robots in the fourth movie where I'm like these are purely here to service like I just want to see machines that are have the sole purpose of hunting down and killing people like those were the cool ones in four that were the iconic design of like you know the big blocky like T-600 or whatever that they're fighting you had to put him in lava to kill him yeah yeah it was uh there were just too many goofy set pieces in, in the fourth one. I think the Terminator, the first two Terminator movies, the action's not too insane. It's, it's... Well, they're pretty small. Doable. Like, but they're meant to be small, because... Yeah. In the first two movies, there's, yeah, they're small, like, they're small stories, but like Tim said, there's an epic backdrop. Yeah, yeah. even Spanning. one, yeah, one is small, but it feels so much bigger with the story and everything. And yeah, four doesn't. Four, no. yeah. No, and it should, because the, <laughs> the apocalypse has occurred. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't feel that way. Yeah, it's just four really kind of shit the bed with, uh, with making the future look interesting. It was the just very, very bleh, very bland, and it was like we don't want to spend money on effects or build sets, so let's go shoot in the desert because let's get some garbage together and go shoot in the desert. <laughs> on a highway, like they're on a highway a lot, like an overpass. Yeah. The same one. I remember a lot of overpasses. And yeah, there's just no, there's no atmosphere. Yeah, like, that's if you true. Take, that's true. I mean, the 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 opening chunk of Man of Steel has more atmosphere than all of Terminator Salvation. The shot alone of Jor-El walking out and seeing just absolute mayhem, there was so much atmosphere laid out in those little segments, and you know, Terminator movies are largely about the the world you create and the atmosphere. I mean, the first one. Is one of my favorite things in the world to talk about, but I won't, because I'll get way too into. But <laughs> it's right. just there's no money in it, and they purely set up cool atmosphere with just like where they shot and the the music, and it was just a perfect combination of like we don't have money to show awesome stuff, so let's kind of show it and just set up a cool mood and, and tell a great story. 
And I think with a with a fifth one, they could reboot it in terms of get away from the Connor family, maybe, or even just make it in the future and maybe just John Connor. I mean, I think the original idea for for four was to have John Connor be a side character who only shows up in the third act for like twenty minutes. That's mm-hmm. an awesome idea. Yeah, like Marcus Wright was kind of a refreshing protagonist because he didn't have anything. To, he wasn't a Connor. No. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have his story written. We didn't know where he was yeah, going. Yeah, we didn't know where we he came from or who yeah. he was or anything. And like that was that was great. And even uh, hell, even if they made it an in between of or like about like young twenties Kyle Reese or something like that, and they kept Yelkin or cast somebody else, I'd be I'd be down. Who right. do you guys want to play a Terminator? Real quick, The Rock. First person that bumps to your head, The Rock. The Rock. Tim. Um, yeah, the Rock, obviously. Um, if not The Rock. Vin Diesel. Maybe a wiry guy. Like, I kind of want a, like, a wiry Will Defoe. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the original idea for the first one, was to have Lance Henriksen be the team. Exactly. Really? Okay. Yeah. Somebody a little more like Robert Patrick I'd like. Somebody who's a little bit more yeah. lean and, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't expect him, you know? Yeah. Brian Cranston. I'd still ra- almost <laughs> rather see just skinless Terminators, like actual machine Terminators. But if you're going to have... It, it depends on who... If it's going to be a good Terminator or a bad Terminator, though. Bad Terminator. Like, it'd be a bad Terminator... First person that pops in your head. Oh my god. Unfiltered Nick. Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Dude, no, he's gonna make himself a robot. <laughs> Don't do that. He goes, yeah, oh man, he goes all day. He's gonna Lewis build on. Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> like, because um, I mean, if you want to go with hulking guy, you can't really replace Arnold. He was so perfect. Sure. The Rock, the Rock would be, if it's gonna be like a protector, good guy, big, massive robot guy, it should be The Rock. Sure. That'd be, that'd be really fun to see him. But then I feel like you might. I mean, if you want it to be a really gritty, yeah, with heavy, rated R story, The Rock... Sean Hawks. I always see The Rock, and I'm just ready for like a good time at the movies. Tom Hardy? He'd be a cool Terminator. He would be. He's in Mad Max, though. I feel like they're kind of weirdly you know, orbiting franchises. Fastbender. Throw Fastbender. Yeah, Michael the last Fastbender. Yeah. Like I said, I'd almost rather not see a Terminator as a main character, just more a back... Kind of like zombies. Like, let's, yeah, let's yeah. lay down yeah. the backdrop of... They're the army of villains. I'd love oh. to see, yeah, characters that are all these human heroes, and what we see of Terminators is, like, they peek over a hill, and there's, like, a hundred of them coming. Like, make them this force that they have to fight. Maybe not characters so much, because they did that so well in 1 and 2. Like, in 2, it's so bizarre what a character the Terminator turns yeah. into. So, okay. We're not... We're not getting another future Terminator... What do we really want out of a reboot? I think the period idea was cool. The 50s was kind of interesting. Because I'm like, you're limiting the, the technology, the weaponry. You're I, limiting where you can run. I think it's cool to use a different time period. because. But I think if you're going to go back, then go go back. Like if you're, but I, First of all, I don't want, I, it shouldn't be related to the Connors at all. I think Lincoln could, versus Terminators. <laughs> well, I was going to say, are they going to go back and just execute Christopher Columbus dude. before he gets here? And be like, that's dude, it, Sarah Connor's done. I'm, I'm not going to lie. How awesome would it be to see, like, like... Like Civil War Terminator fighting, like muskets and stuff, and like they just have to script. Like, can you imagine? Like, it's so futile, though. There's like, no way to but kill dude, it. it would yeah, be awesome there's not even it would like, be like a predator machine. where it's like a man against the ultimate like killer, and he has to like get all jungly and stuff, and like build booby traps for it. <laughs> jungly, be awesome. All that Terminator would have to do is get like. I don't know, because you know some stupid prospector's gonna walk up and be like, this thing's made of silver, and then, like, take it back, <laughs> and then that Terminator just has to explode in town, and that town's gone. Like, it, like, it would eradicate that whole, like, state. <laughs> what? I don't know. This I'm thing's made of silver. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just saying, if you're gonna go back in time, I'm not sure why the 50s is, like, the ideal time frame <laughs> to go back that's to. That's true. I that's want true. a radio play okay. where Alex plays, like, a prospector. <laughs> 
That's the, that's what's so brilliant about the first Terminator is that the the first two Terminators is it comes back right to the eighties, right at the time where technology is becoming it's developing into something that's around to stay, and it's developing into something scary and unknown. And this thing from the future shows up, and then the sequel in two they they plan it so perfectly where they're like oh they recovered the chip and the arm from the first one and now it's helped us steer all of our technology which is kind of a brilliant way of explaining why technology leaps like it does like every within 10 years it's already grown exponentially compared compared to the way it is now yeah maybe this will be a little closer to like rise of the planet of the apes where it's more about the birth of like we've never truly seen like the story of Skynet going online and the people that were really trying to do good things. You know what I'm saying? Like, that weren't... I mean, they weren't trying to, take like, take over the world. This wasn't the goal of, like... What is it? Cyberdyne or whatever? I don't... I, there's so many yeah. damn Terminator names. But, like, it'd be... It'd maybe be interesting to see, like... I, I Like, I sort of kind of... I'm kind of aping Planet of the Apes here, but... Oh. Um, but, like, maybe Ooh. see the guy who, like... You know what I mean? Who, like, was in charge of, of developing... And John Cyberdyne? Things. Sure. Actually, it would be kind of cool to take a World War Z type concept and apply it to Terminator. Like, this is this is event zero where here Skynet is self-aware yeah, and the bombs have begin. dropped and see because obviously a lot of a significant amount of humans have survived in Terminator Salvation. Like, show me the the Jerry Lane character running around and being like, "How do we stop this Skynet? Can we? Is it possible?" Yeah, show me show me a group of guys who we have no. There's no. We have no stake in them surviving. You know what I'm saying? Like to, from the get go, we don't have any predetermined notions of like this guy's gonna live, this guy's gonna die. Like maybe a pocket of humanity, like right when the bombs first go off, trying to like get from point A to point B in a country that's constantly being overrun with. That could be cool. Because I mean, I don't know if they've ever said Skynet was secretly building armies. Because I'm pretty sure the moment the bombs are dropped, there's not an army of twenty thousand cyborgs waiting to be uh, yeah. unleashed in the world. I, don't I think, think so. that there's just. But it's a reboot, so we can do the hell. It's just want. a self-aware, you know, computer controlling the world. They're gonna drop robots from space or something. It'd be interesting for them to be like, okay, this has happened, and nukes have gone off, and we have one chance to make a surgical strike at this thing and take it out. And we would know, obviously, that it's futile and they're doomed to fail, and Skynet wins. But it'd be, it might be interesting to watch, or maybe not. I, don't know. I, I mean, I would still be kind of down. I would be down to watch... I would be totally down to watch a movie that directly leads into the first one if it was done really well. Like, to see John Connor sending back Kyle Reese... It would be cool. Like, to see the moment that prompts it and, like, see... Yeah. I don't know how it would work. I don't know, like, how you would lead up to that and still remain interesting. Like, I don't... It, it would be strange... It would be interesting to see the other side of things. Like, almost if... Somehow, I guess it would be cooler as like a short story collection that's like, these are the future moments that filter back to, like, this is when he sent back Kyle Reese and this is when he sent back the TA and this is like, it would be cool It'd to be see cool those to see chess pieces, yeah. Yeah. But, but it could wind up being kind of hollow, like the Thing remake, which was really kind of a hollow, you know what I mean? Like, very, yeah, it yeah. was neat to see like why the tough. axe was stuck in the door, but like, do we... Like, was the movie worth knowing what, where they... No, it wasn't. Was it worth making the thing again, but worse? No, no. it wasn't. Um, and, and I... I think that's a distinction right there, though, is you make this proposed Terminator like that so radically different from the Terminators of yore in terms of story structure that it is interesting, and you can still have those fan service moments of, like, 
like say say Kyle Reese is your protagonist, which I think there's probably a lot more to tell about him. You know, show that moment where John Connor gives him the picture of Sarah, and and, and but God. right, it's it's kind of tricky. It's, it's really rope. it's really weird because there is that formulaic Terminator story, and it, they just seemingly haven't been able to. They haven't. I guess they haven't really tried to break away from it because it's so reliant on John Connor himself and like. The, the inner workings of... What if the opening scene is John Carter getting killed? Like, dead. Dude, if that's the reboot where it's, it literally starts with a successful Terminator going back and killing John Connor as a young boy, so we have no idea what's going to happen in the future, I'm, I'm dead. I hope that's it now. <laughs> it just popped in my head. I hope he gets killed in the opening credits. I hope Eddie Furlong is de-aged, CG, <laughs> Captain America style, and somebody blows him away and hey. we're like, guys, clean slate because the, the Connors are toast. Dude... Down. Well, like the the original uh, or the or rumored, lasers, the rumored ending for Salvation that John Connor dies of his of his heart wound, and they just put his skin on Marcus Wright and John Connor, the John Connor we know has never even been a human or John Connor. He's actually been a machine who is leading the humans. Like that concept is mind blowing. It's interesting, yeah. And that would have totally flipped the whole idea on its head because then Reese is going back in time to save John Connor was almost just symbolic and like yeah. not even really mattered that's interesting to me that ending I would have been like wow that would have been a ballsy move but to John basically... Connor became more than a man he became a symbol would you say he became more than meets the eye batsman my phone's all screwed up but look at Edward Furlong now <laughs> yeah just open with that dude he looks like the guy who played John Connor in the first one <laughs> like <laughs> he does <laughs> throw a fake scar no, no the people can't hear it they can't see the... they can't hear your picture <laughs> he, looks, he looks like Maybe Alex will put the picture of the guy who played John Connor in Terminator One up because Edward. I think his name is is John Edwards or something like that, or Anthony Edwards or. But anyway, Anthony Edwards. (laughs) It's Goose. (laughs) (laughs) It's Doctor Green from. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think we're gonna take a quick break. I think that sums it up for our Terminator discussion. For now. Yeah. Today. Well, we'll we'll get we'll get more information on where they're gonna head with it. I'll post. I'll you know I'll have Alex post my. My Skype information on, on the website. Anybody, even from Sweden, who's listening, who just wants to talk Terminator, you just give me a holler and we'll chat. <laughs> Alright, so we'll be right back with our full review of Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Joss Nothing. Whedon's Terminator. Welcome back. Time for a review of Much Ado About Nothing. We have special guest star Gojo here, despite the fact that he hasn't seen the movie once again. Hi. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> that's all right. He so, was not in a stage production of Much Ado About Nothing. There true. are stage productions, though. <laughs> I just haven't done them. Yet. Yet. All right. Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, Shakespeare's story, a modern retelling of Shakespeare's classic comedy about two pairs of lovers with different takes on romance and away with words. Uh, directed by Joss Whedon, written by Joss Whedon and William Shakespeare, obviously. Starring Amy Acker, Dan- Alexis Denisoff, Fran Kranz, Nathan Fillion, Tom Lank, uh, Clark Gregg, Clark Gregg, Sean Maher, uh, Ricky Lindholm, uh, Ashley Johnson. Reed Diamond. Reed Diamond, yes, yes, definitely. Um, Who runs the movie, I think. <laughs> so, uh, I think the interesting thing to start off with this in, for this movie, 
Well, I don't know. I could go all the way back. Is that it exists? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, if we want to go all the way back, basically Whedon used to do, in the days of Buffy and Angel and Firefly, when all three of them were on the air, uh, he would have these cast parties at his house, and they would basically just pick a Shakespeare play to read, and he would just pick certain people to read certain parts. And... Um, while he was on his break from filming The Avengers after principal photography, he had about 12 days to shoot a movie, and he decided to shoot Much Ado About Nothing. So he spent 12 days, he got all of his actor friends together, he pulled in as many favors as he possibly could, much like he did with Dr. Horrible back in 2008, and, um, shot this movie extremely quickly. He shot it at his house, which I think is awesome. I think his house is awesome, and the fact that he shot it at his house is awesome. Um, so I think we can start off, has anybody seen or read Much Ado before this? I've seen other movie versions of it. Okay. I've read Shakespeare, but I don't think I've read this. Okay, and does, how does, generally, how do people feel about Shakespeare? I liked Shakespeare, what we read in high school, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, I understand why he's, why people appreciate him so much. You know what I mean? Like, I have the same feelings towards Shakespeare as I do to the Beatles. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not a huge, I can't call myself a fan because I don't love their stuff enough, but I totally get why they're beloved. Yeah. Beloved. Yeah. I've read a little bit of Shakespeare, but it's been it's been high school, college. Yeah. I, I never read this. I never read Much Ado. Okay. mostly the... What about you, Nick? So. I read... I read some. I don't remember if it was middle or high school. I saw this one in a stage production of Midsummer Night's Dream. By William Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, I've seen, you know, the various versions of Romeo and Juliet, the movies, and I've seen uh, the Kenneth Branagh version of Much Do About Nothing. Okay. I think, when I think when I sit and think about William Shakespeare, I'm usually kind of like, oh, I don't really care about Shakespeare. But when I, when I see it, reading it, I'm not such a fan of, but seeing people deliver it, it's, I like the challenge of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's fun. Like I said to Willie after we saw the movie, I, I like the challenge of, your brain in the moment having to deconstruct the line and rebuild it in your mind in a way that makes sense and yeah. then continue on with the dialogue. I think it's it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty rewarding okay. experience. So we can we can talk about the movie now for once. Willie, how did you feel about Joss Whedon's Much Do Much Ado About Nothing? Um, I liked it. It took me a little while to get into the which I knew it would. It took me a while to get into the like the 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 dialogue obviously because it is using the traditional Shakespearean everything, even though it is in a, a modern setting. I mean, yeah. there's a cell phone glimpsed once or twice, yeah. and, and you know they're not using swords or anything, but uh, are there swords in Much Ado About Nothing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. there are. Um, so it took me a little bit to get used to that, both in terms of actually understanding, like Nick said, deconstructing those words and, and figuring out how to, you know, and also just seeing it said in that setting. It's strange. And I remember yeah. I remember the first time I saw um the Romeo and Juliet the um the Baz Luhrmann one. I I I I I haven't watched it since the first time I saw it. I probably would like it more now. But I should say real quick spoilers for much ado because it's Shakespeare. But, yeah. yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> um but um I remember the first time I saw that I was so I was so like thrown off by it I couldn't do it you know mm-hmm. they were calling guns swords and stuff it was yeah. really weird to me and it bugged me um I don't know if it's because I'm I'm older now 
and I, I, I have more of an appreciation for this stuff, or if it's because this movie does it better, I'll have to go back in. I'm just curious. Because I guess if there were two comparable movies, it'd be those, and maybe then the, the modern Hamlet. But the modern Hamlet doesn't use the... When I understand the, the, the language. Hamlet so. 2, you mean? Not Hamlet 2, <laughs> no. Not Hamlet 2. Um, I, but I did enjoy it. Uh, like, first 20 minutes was a little bit... I was like, okay, I gotta understand what the hell's going on. But it's... All of these actors are... are they're so good at um, at delivering the lines and at this and 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 being um, some of these lines come so fast and furious between <laughs> nice Corona voice. Some of these lines come so fast and furious between the, the different actors that it's it, it'd be hard enough to read Whedon dialogue at that pace. And then you add the you know, like yeah you know, the Shakespeare and it's just like oh my god like and this is... and you did it in twelve days it's it's inc- it's so impressive that they pulled that off um, and everybody's cast perfectly I liked I liked everybody in their in their respective roles so I really enjoyed it I, I didn't I, I I will watch it again which is more than I expected because I I thought that this was probably gonna be one where I'm like I enjoyed it. it was a nice little movie but I'll probably never ever look at it again but I think I will at some point down the road I think I'll watch it again. Because the performances are so much fun, I you know I mean Alexis Dennisoff is, is certainly a standout. Yeah. Um, as what what's the character's name? I'm sorry. It's Benedict. Uh, Benedict. Benedict. Yes. Yeah. He's great. Um, Amy Acker is gorgeous and funny as as always. I mean she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and Clark Gregg, dancing dancing machine in this one. Anytime he's on screen, he's he's. Yeah, awesome. Clark Clark Gregg was a pretty fantastic Leonardo. He was great. Yeah. He, he just he totally he was great, and and it was interesting because the one actor that I thought I was nervous about, not because of his acting ability, but because of the kind of characters he typically plays, I was worried about Clark Gregg. Because I'm like, how is he going to sound delivering some of the lines? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it going to sound strange? But he's perfect. It it, it totally fits his yeah. kind of style of character. But then he's able to stretch a bit too, um, particularly in the scenes when he has to be more angry and emotional about what's going on. So, I mean, the scene where he confronts his daughter about. Uh, the accusations that are made against her, like he's intense in that yeah. scene, and he, like you can you can feel it, even though you don't necessarily like, even though you're deconstructing the dialogue at the moment, you just you know instantly what he's you know what I mean, what, yeah. how he's feeling. So, uh, props to everybody, you know. And I'll, I'll let somebody else talk about the the buddy cop dynamic because <laughs> I don't I don't want to I don't want to hog everything, but no, I mean everybody was really good. So okay. and and it, yeah, I I was I was thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed it. So awesome. All right, Nick. Uh, I I had pretty low expectations going in because I thought the trailer was really bad. Like I hated the trailer when I saw it. I was like, this looks stupid. <laughs> it looked like too much of a mishmash of I don't know. I just I did not like the trailer at all. And uh, I actually really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought right from the start it, it, it grabbed my attention with. Uh, just how weird it is, but how, yeah. how well it works was very interesting to me. I thought everybody in it was, was rather good. Um, I like that it was relatively concise. I mean, it moves along nicely, um, which I guess... it It's a weird movie to try to... Who to attribute the credit to, because obviously the writing is still relevant. Yeah. It still works, too. Like I, It moves... It just goes to show you what a huge influence the guy is, was... Um, because it feels it's a very relatable even in the in the dialogue written in, in Shakespearean era dialogue was very easy to follow and the, and the humor was still retained in there and obviously there's there's a lot of moments that are a lot of 
humorous moments that are identified by the actors and that they know how to play up, especially yeah. with regards to Fillion. He yeah. knows he knows how to pause better than anybody for <laughs> for reaction and in order to set up his next line. Or it's almost like a lot of the other actors uh, in the movie. I mean, everybody was good. I'm not I'm not faulting anybody. But what was really interesting about Fillion and uh, Denisov was they they knew when to shut up for a second because like so many of their actors were just like found just farting out words and especially Amy Acker she was really good but all of her lines were just whoop, straight yeah. through the line and I think that there's probably at least from my perspective there might that might be the tendency of actors to be like this language is so dense and so colorful I just need to go just rattle it off in a, in a good way I mean she was good and I think some of that was a character choice too for Beatrice in particular it could but. be it could be but I remember being a little dissatisfied with that I was like I'm having a hard time following her because she's just piling on sentence after sentence after sentence and I was like whoa whoa but especially in regards to the comedy or letting the, the dramatic moments take take root, uh, I think Fillion really excelled at, at knowing when to pause or accelerate or decelerate his lines in order to to be comedic. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his mannerisms were very very good too, especially the whole the whole ass like calling him an ass joke yeah. in in the the police station or whatever. All of his physicality was so good, and he and Fillion's really good at that stuff anyway. Like Shakespeare, it's so. I think the bigger compliment is he's even good at it when it's Shakespeare too. Like well, that's he, what was interesting is yeah. he was the one I was like, I don't. I think I'm gonna have a hard time accepting Fillion rattling off Shakespeare, and he to me got it more than anybody else, or he at least got. It was a review I read shortly beforehand where people were talking about how they really appreciated the slapstick elements mm-hmm. and the. Those kind of jokes that I'm referencing, and someone goes, "Well, I think a, the credit for that really goes to Shakespeare." They're like, "I mean, just because it was a couple hundred years ago doesn't mean people took themselves any more seriously than they do now." Yeah. And clearly, those characters were written to be funny. Like all the scenarios between between uh, Fillion and and uh, Tom Link, where the dialogue itself implies that they're kind of dumb. Yeah. And even Leonardo has a line basically saying, "If these two twerps could figure it out, basically, yeah. like you know, how come we couldn't?" And uh, I think it was just really impressive on his part and uh, Denisov's part to really recognize that and just totally capitalize on it. Those two were, were really stand out for me. Um, I think the the location was cool. I think that the, the making it such a small story was really neat. Yeah. Uh, some things about the period aspect of like the, using the original text kind of it doesn't make a lot of sense with what you're watching but like the notions of princes and wars and stuff, I was kind of like, it's it's cool to watch it and just the movie be like, deal with it. I was like, all right, I'll deal with it. Yeah. It's cool. Um, it's a little distracting though. Like, even just the Sean Maher and I, I'm not gonna remember the characters' names. I'm sorry. Yeah. And his his John John. his lady friend showing up in like handcuffs and stuff. You know what I mean? Well, like, I was like, why are they here if they're right? <laughs> they're exactly. Handcuffs. Like yeah. like, and I'm sure that makes. Uh, from somebody who's never read much ado, I'm sure it makes much more sense in that time period. Yeah. Whatever's going on there, yeah. Because I can't, still can't tell you exactly what was going on there. I know he's a ne'er do well, but it was a little weird. It was a little strange. There were moments like that where it does. I, I can deal with it, but I will say that I think for a lot of people, it, for a lot of people going to see this, it would be like, huh? What? Why are you guys letting him run around your house? Like, yeah, <laughs> this is not a good guy. So I don't know. Whatever. I can't really think of anything over on a whole negative to say about it though. I thought the black and white worked nicely. Um, it was a smart way to shoot it. I mean, a lot of the stylistic choices, I feel like, were made because of time constraints and, and budgetary, certainly. But uh, I liked a lot of the, the shots 
There were a lot of cool. There's a lot of cool foreground business going on in the movie where you'd have weird textures in front of the in front of the lens or slightly obscuring part of the shot or um, you know just adding a kind of a weirdness. There was like one scene where one character's face was entirely blocked, and I remember thinking it was it was cool the way they did it. I think I, I did not like the music. I remember any time a song came in, I was like, "This is shit." I didn't like the soundtrack either. <laughs> it was really distracting to me. I was like, I'd be watching this dialogue. I mean, the, you don't really need music too much. The dialogue was usually enough, and I was really into what they were saying. And and then all of a sudden, a song would come in that sounded like it was just recorded on Pro Tools or something, and it just didn't sound didn't sound good at all. I was like, oh, whoa! <laughs> you just pulled me way out of it. Um, but everybody, I mean, like even like Willie said about Clark Gregg, I, it was definitely he was really good. Everybody from top to bottom was really good. And some of them just really, really, really nailed it. And a lot of the, it was fun to, any of the scenes with anything going on in the back, like especially with Benedict running around outside the windows, mm-hmm. was the, the direction and the blocking was really fun to watch. I was like, it, it feels like you're watching a play for a lot of these scenes. Well, even like, it's something I was going to say about that is, particularly because it's a play, and we know that Whedon is, is not necessarily prone to but he won't shy away from long takes I think it was really cool to see some of those two like work together in ways like it was, that yeah it was nice to be able to watch the actors I remember thinking I don't remember I, I don't remember what scene it was but I remember thinking wow this is a long scene and thinking being impressed with the the reading that yeah. these guys were doing it was weird like some of the reviews I read highlighted a few things that I, I went in anticipating them to be negative and they weren't at all like a lot of, a lot of people are criticizing Denisov yeah saying he's super flat and like I'm about to criticize his, his delivery wasn't <laughs> super good always his voice his intonation didn't change a lot but his his I didn't warm his, physi- his physicality was, was great though his facial expressions was great his voice is weird though I didn't warm warm up to him until like the more humorous aspects of the story kicked yeah. in about halfway through because I thought he was really stilted at the beginning he and feels I, a lot like I don't know how much How I Met Your Mother you watched but he feels like that, Sandy yeah. Rivers playing okay. Benedict like it, he's some of the some of the time particularly in the beginning he before you really know the character learn more about him it's it feels very much like he's like mm, I'm I'm playing a Shakespeare character. Yeah. But anyway, Tim. Yeah, he's like Wesley season three. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, like he, he's very much he's it was he was he was he's what stuck out for me at the beginning of the movie. He's what kind of I liked the movie. I okay. Um, I liked it. I thought it was what it was. It's a nice little breezy, jazzy Saturday afternoon during the summer movie to go see. Yeah. Like it's not. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's it doesn't try to be more than it is, really. It's it's a bunch of friends getting together at Joss Whedon's house to drink wine and read Shakespeare, and that's really all it is. And for what it is, it's good. It's good. Um, I like Nathan Fillion's tie. I like the way it, like beautiful. it came came halfway to his stomach. <laughs> um, I don't really have a lot to add, just because I'm not sure how much to add there is there to this is. movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a good nice if you're tired of watching junk summer movie junk go see this yeah i mean i think it's pretty nice it's it's pretty different from anything else that you're gonna see during the summer so it's it's always good to kind of sit down and 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 you put it really well i think yeah Yeah. i remember thinking while i was watching i was like i'm weirdly like really really enjoying this and yet i don't have to commit to it like it was a weird it was you pretty much it 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 comes off like a play you're really sitting back and observing and i remember thinking like this is a 
a movie I can see myself throwing on during the day and just popping in and, and watching without having to... Not to say it's dumb, you do need to pay attention. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, if there's a bunch of dummies in the theater, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> what are well, saying? I was going to say, I don't... I, and this is not I'm not the dummy part, but this is this is not a movie that I, I would not suggest this to everybody. I wouldn't be like, everybody yeah. must go out and see Much Do About Nothing because... Yeah. There are a lot of people who are going to be like, I have I, no interest in listening to this. I would like, almost say <laughs> that, like, even from just like a Whedon standpoint, like if you're a big Whedon fan, you're not you're not going to love this movie. That's not a guarantee. No, you have to have some sort of appreciation for Shakespeare and some sort of. You need to to be able to look beyond the fact that, like, just just to know what kind of skill it takes to shoot Shakespeare in an effective way and perform Shakespeare in an effective way. Yeah. Yeah. You need to so, open, your, open yourself up to the fact that this is what, exactly what Tim said it was. It's a bunch of guys getting together, having fun, and shooting a little movie. But I think if there is something deeper to it, I think it's pretty cool that he would challenge his fans like that. Because I, mean, I know yeah. a lot of, I mean, I don't want to, but probably a lot of Joss Whedon fans maybe haven't read a lot of Shakespeare. So I think it's pretty cool that he would make something like this. So I maybe if there is something deeper to it. but Yeah, and... Um, I enjoyed the music. I liked the music. I was okay with it. I kind of probably like it a little more because I know that it was Whedon's brother and his sister-in-law and that they had a little cameo as the people performing the music I at the party. That. Yeah, I noticed that too. But uh, I can understand where you're coming from. It's another one. Of the, it's another added variable in the anachronistic like language and setting and music. It's it's weird. Well, it's that a, scene with her and I didn't mind so much. Yeah, it was and that, a musical like montage. Yeah. I was like, this kind of fits. But there were parts where he came in. I was like, Oof. Oh, I didn't. Oh, no. I didn't notice anything that that rough. But did you notice Drew Goddard, director of Kevin in the Woods? I, I did. I was not looking for Drew Goddard. Neither was not, I. But I was, he is in there. I'm not surprised he that he was like, there. Yeah, he uh, he looks like Matthew Fox in Lost, kind of weirdly <laughs> enough, like a nerdy right. version of Matthew Fox from Lost. Sorry. And if you're sitting there during the movie and you're trying to remember the shaggy-haired kid. He's from Gladiator. Yeah. Everybody. And yes. Because it bothered me the Bar- entire movie. Baracchio. Yeah, is that his name? Yeah. The shaggy hair kid that smokes pot. Baraka. Yes, with, yeah. uh, with Ricky Lynn Yes. Um, but no, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Uh, it, it was a little hard for me to get into... I had to put on the Shakespeare translator, like, you know, get, get into that mindset, and it took me a little bit into the movie to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I would have appreciated it a little more if I had a little prior experience with Much Ado. Uh, just to give myself a little more time to digest the language, but overall, I think I think it's it's pretty good. I think I think there's some amount of skill into being able to lay this out in film, and and I think there is some choice in the adaptation of like where are we going to shave the parts of the story. The story still feels complete, and then the nice thing from the Shakespeare side of things is that. It's a very light film. Like this is light Shakespeare. There's no, yeah. There's no. There's not like incest or murder or whatever. No. Yeah. So, you know, it's I. I was appreciative of that. That you know, you're not ending the movie with Juliet dying and you know that. that a bloodbath. Yeah. Exactly. Frank Kranz screaming over a pile of corpses like <laughs> Commissioner Gordon and Nick's proposed Batman <laughs> film should have been. <laughs> um. One thing I did want to—I was curious too—to see what you guys thought. I kind of think that maybe, just beyond uh, the fact that he only shot the thing in twelve days and it was more of a convenience thing, I feel like he might have sh- chosen to shoot at his house as well because 
he knows his house and he would know how to stage certain scenes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I feel like he like that was probably a tool he could use very easily. You know what I mean? Like, you know yeah. your house, so you know what would look good where. Well, in one location like that with a story like that, it's it's a logical choice. Yeah. I mean, you might not even have to really plan it. He'd just be like, we're going to do it here. And everyone's like, okay. And then, like, you know, they're like, the day before filming, like, okay, which room should we do this scene in? Oh, this room will be good. Yeah. Like, my daughter's room would be good for Benedict to hang out in. It's an interesting, like, it's an interesting way to, like, I don't know, it's just cool. Like, the idea that he shot at his house is neat because, like, you have to wonder, and I'm hoping maybe there's some sort of behind the scenes something on a DVD or a Blu-ray about, like, that 12 day, like, I'd like to, like, this is a movie I'd like to see how it came to be because I'd like to see him calling up his buddies like um yeah so I'm shooting this much ado about like it'd be fun I don't know yeah I'm yeah. curious to know about more of the production like what they did for a lot of light it looks like it was a lot of it was shot just midday just natural light or what they even shot it on I was yeah. looking a little bit but not too much um I will say despite the fact that Clark Gregg was very good I wish the original casting of Tony Stewart Head as, as Leonardo happened because I would always love to see more Tony Stewart Head in anything which is why I'll go see Percy Jackson this summer but, <laughs> I'll go see it with you and Nathan Fillion um, but no, I, I, I did enjoy the movie quite a bit uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a home run it's not something where I'm like everybody has to go out and see this movie but I think if you're interested in Shakespeare and you have a fondness for Whedon and his cast of, his motley crew of, of actors, then I think it's certainly something that's right up your alley to check out. So. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Do we want to do a letter grade real quick? It's a hard one to give a letter. At least it's the first time I'm struggling here. Yeah. I, I don't know. Based purely on an enjoyment level, I guess like a B plus. Because like, I'm not a Shakespeare guy. Like, I feel like if, if you really like Shakespeare and you're like totally open to a new, like, not a new interpretation, but kind of, then you'd be, like, super into this. I think if you're a huge Shakespeare fan, then you probably don't like this movie. Like, I, think, I know there's people that yeah. are like, this movie's good and all, but just go watch Kenneth Branagh as much as you because it's... I don't know, those people behind us, when we went, seemed like they were big Shakespeare fans. Because they were, like, laughing before. That's true. It was That's coming, true. and they were, like... That happened in our theater, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I guess a B plus. I this is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We don't have to do that. Yeah, that's, that's not, thanks a lot. No, I want to do I it. I want to do it because I want to. I want to give it a B, and I want to give Shakespeare a lower grade than Fast Five and Purple Rain. Like I want that to be on record. But higher than After Earth. Barely. <laughs> Nick, come on, Tim. I hate you too. Nick. <laughs> it's right. It's firmly in the in the B the B range for me. I enjoyed it. I mean, I I have because I have nothing critical to say. I feel like I can't. I can't give it, like, a really awesome grade or a really bad grade. It's just, it was there. I sat and watched it. It was fun. I don't, you know... Like like Tim said, it was a nice, breezy... It was cool. My only criticism is that I can always use more Nathan Fillion. Uh, I enjoyed him quite... It was probably the perfect amount of Nathan Fillion, but... Uh, it was cool that they... The temptation, I'm sure, especially for the fans, to just put him... Make him Benedict was probably under, overwhelming, but... It was good that he was in that place and he was able to really hold like the subplot. And no, I, I, I think I think he was perfect. For I think place. Whedon, yeah. Whedon was like, Fillion is going to be perfect for Doug because I Doug Barry is, he's known as like the comedic relief of 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 Much Ado, and I think Whedon was like, he'll he'll chew the chew the scenery. Yeah. So oh, yeah, scenery was shredded. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. 
It was shredded by Tom Lang's mustache, really. That's that's the biggest player awesome. in this movie. Um, all right, so there's that. Whoa, letter grade, Alex. Oh, um, I I'd go B plus, B plus A minus is where I would sit. Um, I did enjoy it quite a bit. But. I'm surprised you haven't seen the Brown one actually, because Keanu Reeves is in it. Yeah, I know, I know. Who does Keanu Reeves play in that one? Uh. I think he's Don John. I think he's actually the bad guy. Yes. I think he's Sean Mars' character. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. So, Interesting. I would like that. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to checking it out. It's super... <laughs> I'd be done to watch it really soon to, to compare it. Yeah. I, last time I watched it was in college. I, I, had to, I had seen it in high school, and then in college I rented to watch it again for like a class. And I remember thinking this is just such a fun movie to watch. Branagh, I mean, Denisov was great, but like Branagh was just like... All up in that. I mean, it's, Isn't it's, it weird that two Marvel directors have directed adaptations of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing? Like, I'm yeah. just waiting for like Louis Leterrier to be like, I'm adapting Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> I'm not. All oh, with Jason Statham. Ooh. Sam Worthington. Jason Statham as all. It's all bros. bros. That really the sweet model. The, the really sweet part about Branagh's is uh, Reed Diamond's character Don Pedro is played by Denzel Washington, and he's. That's awesome. Yeah, it's re- it's a really awesome cast. It's a weird cast. It's like kind of all over, but it's a cool movie. Interesting. All right. Um, so we'll go into feedback. We had a few things of feedback here. Um, first off, from Victor, he said, "So I thought I would point out something that pretty much no one is mentioning. This is not an issue of Marvel versus DC. He's referring to our DC Universe discussion last week." He said, but it's actually Marvel versus Warner Brothers. The real reason why the MCU is so good is because Marvel created its own studio so they could make movies they wanted. Sure, they had the Paramount thing going on and now Disney, but they've mostly been able to function on their own. My friend spent a uh, summer interning at an agency in LA uh, and came back saying that Marvel is synonymous with Fox and Sony. Uh... Look around at the non-Marvel Marvel movies that we've gotten in recent years. First Class and Amazing Spider-Man, mainly hit or miss, split opinions. On the other hand, look at the DC movies that Warner Bros. has been putting out. I don't want to list them because gross. Case in point, Marvel is making their own movies while DC is going through someone else. It's like making a sandwich versus telling someone how to make a sandwich. Sometimes you get the perfect amount of meat and cheese, and other times you get the Green Lantern. <laughs> so... I think, interesting, I think it's a but I don't agree. I, I think, think he's factor. I think he's forgetting a little bit about uh, Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises because those those went through the lens of Warner Brothers as well. But I think that was an exception though because of how highly Christopher Nolan is regarded. Do you know what I'm saying? No, that's that's true. But I, the really important thing here is he's saying these are products of DC working through Warner Brothers. What else has DC done working through Warner Brothers? They've done three Batman movies, Man of Steel, Green Lantern. One of those is bad. One of those is bad. Like, straight up bad. Mm -hmm. The other ones are very good to amazing, in my opinion. On the other hand, on the other hand, Mm -hmm. you've got Marvel, Marvel Studios, Marvel Studios movies, out of all of them, I don't think there's any of them that any of us would say are bad. I would say there's one that falls into the okay category. Okay. Iron Man 2. But I would say the rest of them are great to amazing. Okay. Um, but absolutely, when you go and look at the other non-Marvel Marvel movies, I, I don't even agree with that, because I enjoyed First Class very much. I loved X-Men 1 and 2. Uh, amazing Spider-Man is pretty good. It wasn't what I wanted, but it was still pretty good. But would you agree? I mean, I, I feel... 
and I don't think that this is just me being like, oh, Marvel Studios, oh, but, um, um, that guy's made out of silver. <laughs> but I, I feel like, I feel like there's, there's, it feels like there's something missing in First Class and Amazing Spider-Man. Like, and what I mean by that is, I feel like there's still this tinge of the comic book movies of old, which were not all bad, and those are both good movies. But they don't feel those two movies to me don't feel like they've stepped up to where we're at, where the genre's at now. Do you know what I'm saying? To where to where Batman Begins and Iron Man One elevated it. I don't feel like those two movies are are, are at that level. I, just I don't, don't know. That's so hard because I feel like both Batman Begins and Iron Man One are achieving such different things. But those at the are same the two. Time. I mean, yes, they're two forks in the road. But those are the two movies that established the quality. I get what you're saying. Those, those, those. First Class and Spider-Man do kind of pale in comparison. Certainly, First Class feels a lot like there. There are there are certain parts of First Class that totally feel like X-Men One, and you know what I'm saying. They feel like like elements of a bygone era, like an era that is gone is done. And Green Lantern totally feels like a movie that's from a from a. It feels like it should have come came out the same year as Daredevil. It, it like it's yeah. it's in that. I mean, are we are those all still considered, for all intents and purposes, Marvel movies like the Ghost Riders, the Daredevils, the Electra? Well, it's it's kind of like he said, they're not Marvel Studios movies, but they are Marvel movies made through. I mean, if we're counting that way, Marvel has way more stinkers than DC. Yeah, I mean his 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 initial point is interesting, but then it quickly. I mean, this is straight up a. There's more quantity to look at with Marvel because it's not like DC's been pushing through a lot of. Well, and the and a lot of this boils down to taste because I mean. Yeah. The analogy of it's like making a sandwich versus telling someone how to make a sandwich. Warner Brothers makes movies. They've made movies for a long time. Marvel Studios has made like seven movies. Which of those seems like making a sandwich? Like who's better at making a sandwich here? Who has more experience at making a sandwich? Yeah, you like you like to go out to eat though. It's a, it, I'm just saying it's a st- very. Str- it's a rough are you analogy. are you trying to say that Warner Brothers is like? It's it's a rough analogy I think the issue, because yeah. because I, I don't know. I and like, I mean like I, I, like, I like the Green Lantern show. So like I, I said, I it, it boils it boils, a lot Where of it boils down to taste because like we said, well, Green, we s- then he's had Green Lantern pizza. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. we said before, with uh, with DC versus Marvel too, is the DC movies are very—I don't remember the exact phrasing—but they're like very large in scope. They're very cinematic. They're very—they're uh, a lot more polished in a way. And the Marvel Marvel movies are a lot more like a big, fun spectacle, cartoon type of way. But for me personally, and and this is. This is, and I, I have little to no doubt that this is because Marvel is doing these movies mostly in house. Is that Marvel, the, the current slate of Marvel Studios movies, captures the essence of the comic book, but also makes good films so perfectly. It blends those two things so perfectly. And, and Warner slash DC, regardless of quality of Batman Begins or Dark Knight or arguably Man of Steel and Rises have never accomplished. I mean, I don't think we're seeing... We haven't seen them operate in the same paradigm yet. No. Like, Marvel It'd was straight up... It'd be interesting to see what, what, if DC made DC Studios and Warner Brothers was just like, hey, we're leaving you alone to do your thing. That's what they should well, do. Yeah, and I think the issue is, isn't is so much the quality of the movies, it's the fact that Marvel's been hot since about, about the first Spider-Man. So people are taking all those... 
DC has problems getting their characters off the ground, maybe because they have to deal with Warner Brothers, maybe because they just haven't been as hot as long as Marvel has. That's true. Well, no, they, and we, we talked about this already. The issue with DC's characters is if you are to direct them, if you are to directly adapt them from page to screen, it's largely, like, 90% of the characters, it's straight up retarded. Yeah. It's like, you can't do that with DC's characters. You just can't. They wreck, like, comics is one medium, and movies are another. And if your characters don't translate directly from page to screen, then it's smart to change it. Like, if DC was making their movies the way Marvel did, they would all be horrible. Yes, I, I understand what you're saying. I totally do, because they're, they're very much Golden Age characters. But I, I think that there is a tendency with Warner and DC thus far. I, th- I, don't, th- I don't think Green Lantern's guilty of this, but it's still not good. But... You can you can update a character and make them relevant and make them feel real and honest and not not golden age, you know, if we want to go with that, but still have that feeling and that fun and that essence of, of a comic book. You know what I'm saying? Like there is a middle ground. There totally is. But uh, now I think you're you're having an issue defining what makes a comic book a comic book because there's a lot of different comic. I don't books know, in but if you're gonna make a Green Lantern movie, don't spend ninety minutes in his apartment. Like, <laughs> honestly, go f- go for broke. Like, no, I agree yeah, totally. Yeah, and pe- nobody saw it anyway. Like, <laughs> like less people aren't going to see the Green Lantern cosmic crazy movie. Like, just make it. I'm just saying there are, there are so to lord one studio over the other is futile and stupid because yeah. they're so different. The source material is different. The approach for both is very different. The studios are different. To try to say one is right, one is wrong, one is good, one is bad is, and is a, I think is a I bad think, idea. I think we've gotten away from what we what we were actually talking about in the last segment anyway, and why he brought this point up. It was just kind of a, I think he was kind of looking at it as a why. What does DC have to do to match Marvel? I don't know. I, there's 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 obviously a lot of variables here. Make it's, more movies. Well, yeah, Not make more like- and. And there's just kind of the fundamental operation. What I think Nick was trying to hit at was, like, the DC movies are very much like at least the few that we have to pick from. And we're I'm going to exclude Green Lantern here. And then we said last time I'm kind of excluding Man of Steel. The Dark Knight trilogy is very much Christopher Nolan wants to tell a story and Batman happens to be in it. Sure. Man of Steel doesn't feel that way. Man of Steel feels like a... A Superman story. A Superman story. And in that sense, I think it's the closest to a Marvel Studios-style comic book film that they've made. Sure. But that's the thing, is that Marvel's very much like, we need to build, we need to flesh out these characters almost for the the purpose of being able to throw them all together into one universe. I think they did do that with Phase 1. I don't think that's, like, if you look at, if you look at Iron Man 3... It is a Shane Black movie that happens to have Iron Man in it. And I, I think, I think, yeah, and that's interesting. We, we've spent too long. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we, we can come. This we'll, is not the last time we'll yeah, talk about Yeah, we will come this. back to that many, many times in the future. I'm but, sure. Um, all right, and then we have uh, Chent S. from Michigan as well. Um, he's studying film at Central Michigan. Fire up chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, he said, hey guys, I'm a new subscriber to your, uh, to your show and fellow film lover from Michigan, studying film at Central Michigan and inspired by your guys' ambitions to do this podcast because I'm looking to start up my own in the near future. I would love some feedback from Don't you guys. Don't destroy yours. 
some feedback from you guys as in how to get started, what to use, and just some tips. I already emailed you back a pretty good response on this, but basically we just use GarageBand and, and microphones. Any kind of microphone is good, just as long as it doesn't sound horrible. Um, but just get interesting people, because I love you guys. And steaminess. Yeah, it needs steaminess. Yeah. Well, that's why we brought Tim on. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. We needed the Paul Verhoeven element. Absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, he continues down to say, I heard you guys from the A Cast of Kings podcast, so first of all, congrats on the shout-out. Thank you very much. I paid a lot of money for that. Not really. Uh, but I have to say <laughs> that I was pretty disappointed with the direction on the past... On the, I was pretty disappointed in the discussion on uh, past zombie films. You touched most of the essentials, like Night of the Living Dead, 28 Days, and Dawn of the Dead. 28 Days Later, and Dawn of the Dead. But left out one game-changer, Shaun of the Dead. Being video game lovers uh, that you guys say you are, I thought someone would have brought up the opening scene where Peg and Frost are lifelessly wrapped up playing a video game and how that film depicts our culture. Anyways, I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on the movie and keep up the good work. Um, yeah, I think... It, it, I kind of already said to him, but it's... I don't think any of us really think of Shaun of the Dead as a zombie film. I don't... It I, very yeah. much lives in its own, like, weird satire kind of yeah I almost don't consider it any more a zombie film than I consider the naked gun a police film yeah like yeah. if it's if it's within the the realm of satire it's it's hard to I, group it with that genre no but I think it go I think For it me, works more as a zombie film than say like a straight parody would like the naked gun movies oh, I fair think enough. It, yeah. yeah yeah and I think it tries for it too I would I would do it just because I want to be on his side he's a Chippewa no I totally I, I he's he's right it's it's I, I'm I, I mean I, it surprises me, I guess, that, that none of us brought it up. Yeah. But, it does. It but, does. Uh, it's probably because I just talked about Ramiro a lot, mostly. <laughs> it's my, it's my, I'll, I'll own up to this, Chent. That's, that's, I love me versus Ramiro, so. Yeah, and I, you know, I haven't watched Shaun of the Dead in a long time. I do, I, I enjoy it very much. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. Maybe um, we can talk about Sean next time just for Chent. Because he seems like a nice guy and Tim really likes I him. Think Chen, I, if they're still offering that early horror class, take it. It's awesome. <laughs> I guess I, I didn't even think of it because I don't really consider it I don't know what makes it a game changer I suppose I think it's I think it's good certainly I think it was I, one of the first movies that really took zombies and put it into like a like was attempting to achieve very different things with it a zombie <laughs> a zombie yes thank you Gojo <laughs> uh, a zomcom you're welcome <laughs> podcast audience I don't know it's it's an interesting way to to, to, to describe it definitely yeah, I mean, because we did hit... Yeah, I guess there's really... We should have at least mentioned it. Because we, we did talk about the other landmarks. I even brought up 28 Days Later for the use of the largely digital and handheld, uh, you know, format, which was definitely kind of different. I don't think Shaun of the Dead is necessarily, like, pushing the zombie genre forward, but I think it's it's a very good demonstration of these are the kinds of stories you can tell with zombies. And Shaun of the Dead is so clean and polished like yeah. we talked a lot about the dirty low budgetness of zombie movies and Shaun of the Dead is a very well I mean that was that well crafted like, movie it's really it's own beat like it really it really is like you said Alex like it's kind of it's own it is a zombie it's, it's a movie with zombies in it and it, it, it is mostly about surviving a zombie apocalypse it's funny and it's got the romantic angle too but I, I just when I think zombie movies it for whatever reason, and it's not like I love Shaun of the Dead. It never pops into my head right away. It's like in the third group of movies. Because you take zombie movies seriously. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that's what it is. But it did it did change things, I guess. In a in, in I wouldn't call it a game changer. It didn't it didn't affect the genre that much. I don't think. But it did open up avenues for zombie stories that didn't take themselves as seriously. I mean, there there were some in the in the eighties and, and early nineties that were a little more comedic because zombies had been a little tired by that point. But this was it was nice because now we're getting things like I don't think we would have things like Warm Bodies, which I still haven't seen, but I've heard it's good, or things like um, what's that other zombie comedy that there was another one that recently came out. I feel like I'm not making this up, but I might be. No, you're not. Dance of the Dead was one of them. Dead Snow. Dead Snow was kind of, yeah. Yep. These yep. are movies that we wouldn't. It, it did inspire Zombieland, kind of yeah. some more. Zombieland. <laughs> yeah, Zombieland. Gojo See, someday. once again, how did yeah? How yeah, did I this said I'm playing Rush Hour right now. <laughs> and I feel like studios would have been afraid to do stuff like that with the genre, if not for Sean. Um, so yeah, I appreciate it The for fact that. that it was a success, too, was cool, because it launched a couple guys. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, th- I think Edgar Wright's approach to genre movies is cool, where he's like, I love this genre, I want to make my movie in that genre. Because, like, Zom- Shaun of the Dead's great. In my opinion, Hot Fuzz is, is better. Um, and I'm anxious Ooh, to see what, what Ed World's End is about. What Sean versus Hot Fuzz? We can do that on our on our At World's End uh, podcast. There we go. All right. Yeah, it's an interesting. uh, It is an interesting thing to. You guys didn't mention any Rob Zombie movies either. No, stop it. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Care about those? (laughs) That's the wrong kind of zombie movie. This is why. Yes. This is why I'm. I I will disappear from the podcast for three weeks because. The name Rob Zombie was mentioned. <laughs> Willie, Willie's so angry that he's not coming back until if August. You, his you will name. not hear about me, hear from me, or about me until August. If you mention his name three times, his wife shows up and starts poorly <laughs> acting. Uh, wooden acting. All right. Well, Willie, we will miss you for the time being. Yep, I will but miss you all, my beautiful listeners. We will await your your steadfast returns. Um, but anyway. Um, thanks to Aunt Mr. John for our music and artwork. Check us out on Twitter at MFN Podcast. We're also on Vine and Instagram. Um, all of our personal Twitters can be found on the website, MidwestFilmNerds.com. Send us feedback, food for thought questions, all kinds of stuff to feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. And uh, that's about it. Go watch a movie. Kyle, that's why.
always forget about Kyle XY every week. And then you throw it, you remember to throw it in at the end.